Uh, well, good morning, church, and welcome to the second week of our missions conference. Uh, if you're new around Trinity, we have a two-week annual missions conference every year. Uh, and this morning, I am so excited to have one of our partners, one of our laborers that we support here from Trinity uh, share with us today. John and Aaron Haverdink are on staff with the Navigators at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, it's not the ends of the earth, but you can see it from there in Nebraska, I'm sure. I'm sure you can. Uh, John, and, John has been a part of our Trinity family. He was a student at UNI, uh, man, like 12 years ago. He was on staff with the Navigators at UNI before God called them to Lincoln, Nebraska about five years ago. Uh, and many of you, you may know Erin, uh, formerly Erin Kaiser. Uh, she grew up in this church. She was a part of our youth group. Um, and so it is so fun to have these guys back uh, to share today um, about what God is doing in their lives and how God has grown their heart for his harvest as he's broken them with compassion for people in the harvest field. So uh, let's welcome up Jonathan this morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Trinity. I am incredibly excited and honored to be with you all this morning. Every time I think of Trinity Bible Church, I have immense gratitude. This was my church home for seven formative years of my life and was the setting for a lot of my own spiritual formation during those years. And even though my wife and I are now located uh, in the ends of the earth, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, <laughs> where we serve with the navigators at the University of Nebraska, I love that we get to visit frequently since this is where my wife's roots come from and where generations of her family still call home. I'm sure many of you have known the likes of John and Margie Kaiser, Jonathan and Sayoko Lu, and Doug and Caroline Kaiser. I married up into this family uh, when I married Doug and Caroline's oldest daughter, Erin. Uh, so I can also express my gratitude to Trinity for my wife and all that she is. Um, since moving to Lincoln, we've had uh, a daughter named Mara and a second one on the way in March. So I'm excited about that. The name Trinity Bible Church represents people who have meant so much to us. And it represents a rich history of biblical teaching, of world missions, and disciples making disciples. Thank you for letting me join you all this morning during the missions conference. If memory serves, I believe it was around 2017 when I remember hearing the pastors here focusing on the definition of a disciple. I remember them beating this drum that a disciple is someone who, say it with me if you know it, someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. I hear a lot of you have, have that has stuck with a lot of you. That's great. With this morning being the tail end of the missions conference, we're going to really zone in on that third one, that a disciple is someone who is on mission with Jesus. So today, we're going to take a second look at the end of Matthew 9 and look at what is Jesus' mission, what's my role in it, and how do I cultivate a heart for the harvest? But first, let's begin with a question. How many generations would the human race last if we stopped having children? If we just stopped having babies today, how many generations until the human race goes extinct? 
It only takes one generation of no physical reproduction for any species to go extinct. And guess what? The same is true about spiritual generations, which means that the global church and the entire movement of the gospel is only ever one generation away from extinction if we stopped spiritually reproducing. Thankfully, we have God's promise that that will not happen. But that doesn't, doesn't that make you realize just how fragile and dependent we are? God's faithfulness through every generation is amazing. And it also makes me realize that we have a job to do. We need to spiritually reproduce and share our faith with our neighbors, our coworkers, families, and relational networks if we want to see the whole world reached with the gospel. It's what we were designed for. We were designed to share our faith with people all around the world, to raise up the next spiritual generation who can share it with increasingly more and more people so that every generation is reached. But if we want to see every generation reached, it starts with this one and the next one. Another way of saying that is it starts with every one of us here today sharing our faith with the next person. When I was a sophomore in college at UNI, I was a part of the Navigator Ministry and was being discipled by a staff guy named John Pagel. Each week we met at Mocker Union and he walked me through a passage of scripture and challenged me to consider how to internalize it and to live it out. One of the very first weeks was on 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. We read verse 17 together, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Then he turned to me and, and asked me, Jonathan, do you see yourself as a new creation? I said, yeah, of course. Then he said, why do you say that? I said, well, because I invited Jesus into my heart. I try not to sin. I ask for forgiveness, stuff like that. Then he leans in and says, that's great, but that's not actually why you're a new creation. Let's read verse 21 together. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He said, you're not a new creation because of anything you did, but because Jesus said, let's trade records. Then he said, what does it mean to live as a new creation? What's different about that than being an old creation? And I said, I suppose praying, reading the Bible, repenting of sin, things like that. And he said, good. And in verse 18, it says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled you to himself and gave you the ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Then he said, Jonathan, do you see yourself as an ambassador? I said, not particularly, no. Then he said, Jonathan, if you are a new creation, then you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. You might be a good ambassador, you might be a poor ambassador, but you are an ambassador nonetheless. At this point I thought, I've been a believer for most of my life. Does that mean I've been sleeping on the job this whole time? But then he asked me, who around you needs this message of reconciliation? Who around you doesn't know that there is a holy God against whom they have rebelled and fractured the relationship, but that in love he sent his son 
to pay for their sins with his own life in order to reconcile that relationship and that they need only believe and repent. Who is your next spiritual generation? My mind immediately went to the pot-smoking potty mouths across the hall from me in the dorms. It went to the annoyingly nosy know-it-all in the room next door. It was the people in my music studio who were, in my mind, way too lost for Jesus. I was not born with a compassionate heart toward these people. I did not have a heart for the harvest. I thought of these people as ones to distance myself from because they made me uncomfortable or they might drag me down a bad path. This feels terrible to say, but I truly felt that they were not worth my time, that they were below me. But through this experience, God began lifting my eyes to see the spiritual reality of the people around me. Suddenly, the pot-smoking pouty mouths became people striving for fulfillment through earthly pleasures. Suddenly, the annoyingly nosy know-it-all became someone striving to secure his identity through intelligence. The people in my music studios became lost souls searching for meaning and purpose in this life. I began wanting to be an ambassador for Christ to them. God was cultivating in me a heart for the harvest. I began praying for them and wanting to make disciples, but I didn't know how. I made tons of mistakes. There was lots of trial and certainly plenty of error over the course of the next few years. And honestly, that's kind of what it takes. But I found the Lord's promise to be true, that my labor in the Lord is never in vain. A couple years later, I met a guy named Jacob Bunt and began discipling him. Turned out he was not too different from me, wanting to grow as an ambassador for Christ. He helped me share the gospel with guys like Brian Fisher and Andrew Rust. A couple years later, I met a guy named Riley Lunin, who helped me share the gospel with guys like Brian Schmidt, who ended up leading several of his fellow RAs to Christ after Aaron and I had moved to Lincoln. I was shocked to see spiritual generations happening. Because I wasn't doing anything super special or profound, God was just showing me that his design for spiritual generations works. The reality is that, that we are only one generation away from dying out doesn't have to be scary because this generation by generation spiritual reproduction was God's design from the beginning. He set the plan in motion when, with Jesus issuing the command to make disciples of all nations. He's in control and he is making it happen. We are designed to be ambassadors fishers of men, laborers, missionaries, whatever word you want to use, God has bestowed that honor to us and entrusted us with that role. We are designed for that, and God's design works. But God wasn't finished there. Through these experiences, he was calling me to lift my eyes even higher, to have a heart for not just the people immediately around me who were similar to me, but to begin thinking about praying for and moving toward the nations. People from different backgrounds, cultures, and religions. I'll share a bit more about that, how that happened for me later, but ultimately I learned that God's design for us to be Christ's ambassadors, to bring the message of reconciliation works more than just here in Iowa. It works over in Nebraska. It works in Florida. It works in Brazil, in Spain, Australia, Indonesia, Central Asia, and I dare you to try it out for yourself. 
I dare you to take God at his word. I dare you to take God at his word and ask yourself, do you see yourself as an ambassador? Do you see yourself as someone entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation? Someone that God can use to change the eternal trajectories of people all around the world. I dare you to take God at his word and watch what he sees fit to do through your surrendered life. Like I said, cultivating a heart for the harvest takes a lot of trial and error. And I'd like to just share a few of the lessons that God has taught me as we revisit Jesus' example in Matthew 9 this morning. So feel free to open up to Matthew 9 in your Bibles. Otherwise, the passage will also appear on the screen. Starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, thank you for gathering us around your word so that we can learn who you are and what you're like. Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law and would you mold our hearts to become more like yours this morning? God, you are the potter and we are the clay. We love you and we trust you. Amen. So what we'll see about living as an ambassador for Christ with a heart for the harvest is that it starts with compassion, it leads to prayer, and it results in fruitful labor. Just a quick note on terms. Until now, I've been using the term ambassador a lot, but this passage uses the imagery of laborers in a harvest field. They both give us a slightly different image, but ultimately refer to the same thing. They describe our role in Jesus' ultimate mission, which is to bring glory to his name for all generations by empowering his followers to bring the transforming power of the gospel to all nations. So when I say ambassador and when I say laborer, both speak to this role. So I'll use those terms somewhat interchangeably. The first key lesson we learned from Jesus' example is that cultivating a heart for the harvest starts with compassion. I see this in verse 36 when it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion can be broken down into its prefix com, and its root word, passion. Passion is when I can't help but act on a desire. It's when I feel a burning desire so strongly that I have to do something. You could be like me and have a passion for playing music or roasting coffee. Uh, you could have a passion for sports, your career, travel. It's something that you can't get enough of. But the prefix com means with. So compassion means relational passion. It's when I can't help but do something for someone in need. It's feeling a burning desire to help another person. It's hearing about your friend who just had another miscarriage and dropping everything in your busy schedule to be with them and cry with them. Or hearing about a neighbor who is going through a financial struggle and being stirred to make them a few freezer meals for their family. I'm sure you can add to this list with plenty of personal examples of your own. But consider for yourself, on whom do you currently have compassion? 
Are there people in your life who are hurting or struggling in ways that stir up compassion inside of you? And why is that? What causes you to have compassion for them? What makes your compassion grow warm for these people? In this passage, we learn how Jesus' compassion grew warm for the people around him. It's that he was among them. It's as simple as that. He was among them. He spent time with them. Just earlier in verses 9 through 13, we see Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners. He associated with them in ways that were perplexing to everyone else. Everyone else thought he would have belonged more with the Pharisees and other pious Jews. It didn't make sense to them that he would instead choose to be among the outcasts. And as a result, he was able to see these outcasts in all of their sin, their weakness, and their brokenness, all of their ugliness and hurt. And instead of it repulsing him and disgusting him, his compassion grew warm. If you want to grow in your compassion for the harassed and helpless, you have to spend time with the harassed and helpless. That's how compassion grows, through getting to know their needs, their hang-ups, their brokenness. Are there people for whom you struggle to have compassion? Are there people who you think are beneath you? Are there people that you know in your head that God has called you to have compassion for them, but you just don't? And then the question would be, how much time do you spend with such people? Do you spend time with people who are hurting, weak, or outcast? And if not, I'd like to encourage you to position yourself among people who may be outside of your comfort zone. There are so many ways to do this. But one of the best ways to grow a heart for the harvest is to go overseas with church, or if you're a college student, with navigators. If you're like me, you were not born compassionate. I wasn't born with a heart for the lost and impoverished people of rural Indonesia. But God cultivated that in my heart as I spent time among them. I got to meet real families with real stories of oppression by evil spirits. We spent time on a few different small village islands. Many of them had never seen a foreigner before, much less a follower of Jesus. We were greeted with witch dances to ward off evil spirits. We learned of several individuals who had experienced demon possessions. On one island, we were told to avoid the rocks on a certain part of the beach because that's where the demons were. And people who went over there would get a bad migraine. It broke our hearts to see these people with both material need and spiritual need. They had no access to modern medicine, good education, strong economies. But the worst part is that they had no hope of relief from spiritual oppression. No hope of eternal life in Christ. No hope of a relationship with their almighty creator. There was no one there who knew a single follower of Jesus. We were the only Christians that any of them had ever met. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are incredibly few. So I urge you to seek out opportunities to spend time around the harassed and helpless, whether that's going across the street, going across town, going overseas, Seek those opportunities out. And as you position yourself among them, 
Ask them thoughtful, intentional questions to get to know their likes, their interests, their hang-ups, their fears, their brokenness. And as you do, watch God cause your compassion to grow warm for them such that you can't help but do something. That's where it all starts. Cultivating a heart for the harvest starts with compassion. Next is that cultivating a heart for the harvest leads to prayer. The next verse, verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if you had never heard this story before, maybe never heard of Jesus, and had just, you just learned that Jesus told his disciples that the job is big, but the workers are few, what would you have expected his next words to be? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore, personally, I would have guessed something like, so what are you waiting for? Get after it, quit burning daylight. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus' first response when faced with a daunting and urgent task was to pray. Why is that? Because Jesus was keenly aware of what happens when we don't. Prayerlessness leaves us vulnerable to either self-reliance and pride or to hopelessness and defeat. Prayer on the other hand, keeps us securely dependent on the Lord. The harvest is his. He's in charge. Don't forget to talk to the one in charge before you charge. <laughs> Never charge without talking to the one in charge. Back when I was a student at UNI, Kyle Nelson was the campus director, and I remember him telling us how he could see Dancer and Bender Halls out of his backyard. He told us that at night, he would look at each of the lit dorm windows, which represented two souls that had an eternal destination. He said that he would pray for God to raise up a pair of laborers to reach each dorm floor. Often before the school year began, my buddies would invite me to go walk around the different dorm floors and pray for each name on each door. Then, as the school year began, we got to meet a lot of them, and my compassion for them started to grow. Then we started having spiritual conversations with them, and then we were able to pray more and more specifically for them. So the prayer fueled the compassion, and the compassion fueled the prayer. And I've seen the same kind of thing happen with overseas laboring. Just two weeks ago, I was in a country in Central Asia with three other students. Leading up to this trip, we spent a lot of time praying, mainly for the broad generalities and for the trip to be impactful. But then we arrived in country, and we got to hear stories from people like Amin, who recently came to faith. We got to hear him pray for his family to receive Christ. We got to meet non-believers like Assad, Suim, Jahan, and others. And as we were spending time with them, a thought occurred to me. Growing up in Iowa, in a believing family, and in, in the church, I've had the gift of being prayed for my entire life by so many different people. But how many people had ever prayed for these souls by name? Probably extremely few, if any. And again, the compassion grew along with the prayer. We met a gal, we'll call her Amina, who had been reading the scriptures with one of the long-term laborers there. And during a meal, one of our team members asked if she believed in God and what she thought that he would be like. 
And Amina, who was raised in a different faith, said, I'm not sure. I feel like there's a garden in my head. I've been watering the garden my whole life, but now I'm realizing that there have been some lies about God that I've been watering. And I'm trying to ask God to help me uproot the lies to replace them with the truth. When we heard her say this, we, just, we were speechless. We were amazed because it was so clear that the Lord was at work in Amina's life through reading the scriptures with the other woman. It's going to take immense sacrifice for Amina to take a different path from her family. But we are praying that she would take that step to trust Jesus. We would not be able to pray for her and the others in this way had we not gone. So being a laborer is not about being an expert. It's about being a common, ordinary worker who trusts and follows the God who is the expert. Again, don't forget to talk to the one in charge before you charge. So consider for yourself, how do you want to commit to praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest? And how do you want to commit to praying by name for the harassed and the helpless? Would you spend a moment writing down names of those people along with what you want to see God do in their lives as people come to your mind to raise up laborers and for the harassed and helpless What is it that you want to see God do in their lives? Feel free to write that down as we continue on. Third point is that cultivating a heart for the harvest does not stop with prayer. It starts with compassion, it leads to prayer, and now it results in fruitful labor. If you'd flip with me to the next chapter, Matthew 10, starting in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right after having them pray for laborers, the very next chapter, guess what? Jesus sends them out to be the answers to their own prayers. He had them pray for laborers and then sent them out to be the laborers that they had just prayed for. Why is that important? Because fruitful labor happens by abiding and depending on Christ. Laboring is not opposed to effort and strategy. In fact, it demands the best of each of those. But it is absolutely opposed to independence, self-sufficiency, and hubris. Do you want to bear fruit? Then abide in Christ and depend on him. If you are not abiding and depending on Christ, then you have no blessing to share with others. Walking with Jesus is your primary responsibility in bearing fruit. When we walk with Jesus, he promises the fruit that will last. It's nothing that we can manufacture on our own. Earlier I mentioned that this generation to generation plan was God's design for reaching the whole world. It was his plan ever since his original promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would be a blessed he would be blessed in order to be a blessing and that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed the blessing was given originally with the purpose of being shared that was its original intent was to be blessed in order to be a blessing this is the point that I missed for my entire life, my entire believing life up until being discipled by John. I'm not just supposed to be a disciple myself and keep all of the blessing to myself. 
I'm supposed to share it. And you actually find infinitely more blessing in the sharing than in the hoarding. Would you rather drink from a flowing mountain stream or from a stagnant pond? I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to dip my water bottle into a flowing mountain stream because what happens when water gets stagnated? There's rot, there's decay, stench, and disease. Which then, what happens when we get stagnated in living on mission for Christ? We become stinky Christians and things get gross. So having compassion, praying for the harassed and helpless, and laboring to reap a harvest, all of the things that we talked about as being as part of living as an ambassador for Christ and a laborer in his harvest, these things keep us from stagnation. They prevent us from rotting. They give us purpose and direction because that's our identity. You are an ambassador. You're a laborer. You're a fisher of men. You're not a sideline teammate. You're, you're on the field and in the game. You have a key role to play. If you believe that to be a, a laborer in God's harvest means that you have received some supernatural call from God, let me put that myth to rest. Do you have faith that Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sin so that you could be perfectly righteous before God and have new life? And do you believe that God's word is true and authoritative? Then congratulations, you are a laborer. You're a fisher of man. You're an ambassador for Christ. The people that we met in Central Asia a couple weeks ago, people like Amina, Assad, Suim, Jahan, and others, I am praying for laborers to be sent to them. And each of the harassed and helpless that are on your heart, there might be individuals or families who have been praying for laborers to be sent to them. They've been praying for someone like you to be sent into their loved one's life. You could be the answer to their prayer, and you could be the answer to your own prayer. Like we said, cultivating a heart for the harvest starts with compassion, leads to prayer, and results in fruitful labor. So wherever you're at, I want to challenge you to jump in. If we want to see every generation reached, it starts with the next one. It's going to take every one of us trusting and following the Lord's leading, whether that means crossing the street, crossing town, or crossing the globe. Seek out opportunities to go. The Lord's harvest is a global harvest. Get among the harassed and helpless. You might just be the only person that they meet in their lives who can share Jesus with them and pray for them. Another way to jump in is to go out to the lobby where there's 20-odd prayer cards for missionaries that Trinity supports. Take a few of them, get on a newsletter list, and commit to praying for them. Pray for more laborers to be raised up alongside them too. And lastly, I want to encourage you to give to those who are going. You can participate in the movement of the gospel in places like Japan, Southeast Asia, Northern Africa, all at the same time through your dollars. You can help more laborers say yes to going overseas by helping them be well-resourced. And who knows, maybe God might be tugging on your heart this week throughout this missions conference to say, yes, I want to be a long-term cross-cultural laborer overseas. If so, I would bet that the pastors would love to talk with you to evaluate what those next steps might be for you. 
Again, it's not about being an extraordinary expert. It's about being a common, ordinary worker who is simply willing to say yes to what God has called them to to do and faithful to show up. Remember, we have God's promise that our labor in Christ is never in vain, which means we cannot fail. The weight of the task doesn't rest on your shoulders. It rests on Jesus' shoulders. And he has given us the best promises that he has all authority in heaven and on earth and that he is with us to the end of the age. Like Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. So let's jump in. The nations are waiting. We need laborers to see the next generation reached and every generation reached. Are you willing to say yes? You pray with me. Father, you are the Lord of the harvest and you are worthy of the praise of every voice in the world. And we know that it is your plan to raise up laborers to reach a harvest all around the world. God, this morning we humble ourselves and ask, ask you to use us as common, ordinary workers to reach the next generation and every generation. Give us opportunities to go and be among the harassed and helpless. Give us compassion for them such that we can't help but do something. And give us opportunities to pray for and give to overseas missions. Thank you for your promise that our labor in you is never in vain and that you are with us always to the end of the age. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Man, thanks, Jonathan. I know my heart is blessed through your words today. Jonathan dared us today to consider taking God at his word and trusting him to step out into the harvest field to grow in our compassion for others. I wonder today, are you willing to say yes? Last week, I shared that there are 7,246 people groups, people that bear the image of God on this earth that are less than 2% Christian. 40, nearly 42% of the world is less than 2% Christian. I don't know about you guys, when I'm here in Cedar Falls, that's overwhelming. I wonder sometimes, what can I do? What difference can I make? Well, I think first off, it starts with going across the street to grow in compassion for our neighbors. Secondly, I just learned this week, there's an unreached people group that lives in Des Moines, Iowa. There's 4,000 people from an unreached people group from Vietnam that live in Des Moines, Iowa. It starts with our neighbors. And I think it starts with prayer. As Jonathan shared, there are uh, prayer cards for 27 laborers in the missions corner in the cafe. Can I urge you today, can I plead with you today to take one home and start to pray for the harvest. Maybe if you're in a small group here at Trinity and you had a labor, one of our laborers share at your small group in the last week or two, can I invite you to take their prayer card and start to pray? Secondly, we can give and we can give generously to see God's mission advanced 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In the seat back pocket in front of you, there's a card that looks like this that has the names and our budget for the year, our missions budget for the year. There are 27 laborers on this list, and nearly all of them are our people, just like Jonathan and Aaron. They've sat in these same seats. They've come from our church. They've been in our small groups, and they've said yes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here at Trinity, our missions budget, this $141,800, it doesn't come out of our general operating fund. This is money that is designated specifically for missions. And so I want to urge you today to give generously, to give sacrificially to our missions fund, to see God's mission, his kingdom advance to the ends of the earth so that we can send laborers like these, like Jonathan and Aaron, to take the good news of the gospel wherever God sends them. And then lastly, you can go. We're sending a team to uh, Mexico in a few months. There's other opportunities where you can say yes to Jesus to go into the harvest field, to grow in your compassion, and to be a laborer in God's global mission. So I want to urge you today, are you willing to take God at his word and say yes to move towards others as you pray, give, and go to the nations? Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for laborers like John and Aaron that are willing to go. God, that are willing to say yes uh, to go not only to Lincoln, Nebraska, but to go to Indonesia, to go to Central Asia, to see your kingdom advance. God, and we pray earnestly. Jesus, would you raise up laborers to go into the harvest to those 7,248 peoples that so desperately need the gospel? It's in your name we pray. Amen.